Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, happy April 1st to all of you. This is no joke. This is going to be a terrific show today. I'm very excited to have my guests that are authors of Red Hotel, Gary Grossman and Ed Fuller. And I'd like to welcome you to the show, Gary. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Great to be talking with you and reaching so many wonderful fans of political thrillers and uh, novels and books in particular. So just great to be here and sharing the time with uh, my co-author, Ed Fuller, who you'll hear a great deal from today. That's right. Well, welcome to the show, Ed. And it's fine to be here. We're here in sunny California and uh, just thinking about the opportunity to share some thoughts with your audience. Thank you for the opportunity. My pleasure. And, yes, as we sit here in the sunny, beautiful Southern California, and I just put a friend on an airplane to go to New York today, and I think it's supposed to be 90, to, uh, 90 20 degrees, we are very grateful for the lovely weather that we have here in, in sunny Southern California. I, I thought we could start off. I, I, I really like the human interest side of why I do this show, and I love to get to know my guests. So let's let's start with you, Gary. Could you please just tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Marcia. Well, uh, by day, I'm a TV producer, uh, documentary producer uh, for over the years. Well, I think it's 40 different channels, uh, cable and broadcast channels, uh, 10,000 shows over the last 20 years or so uh, with uh, a production company that I owned and co-owned and uh, uh, also working for other production companies. That was my day job. Well, I say was. I still do some television, but I've really grown into writing political thrillers uh, more recently and in the last 18 years or so. And Red Hotel is the newest and a collaboration, and my first collaboration, in fact, and it's with uh, Ed Fuller. Uh, It's just been a blast working with him because where I normally write from the comfort of my computer, and although I have experts in uh, military intelligence and armaments and State Department and even the White House, um, working with Ed, who people will hear from in just a moment, Ed's the real deal. Ed was the former president of Marriott International with a, a, and a man who worked in the danger zones uh, on behalf of the corporation that he worked for, but also on behalf of guests, of tourists from around the world. So to work with Ed and to have this opportunity is uh, I, I, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I hope I can convey that enthusiasm because it's been so much fun working with Ed, writing the book, and now out talking about the book. 
Oh, man, I, you can feel it. I, I can feel th- that excitement and your energy as you describe that because clearly you've had a very long career, and I know that you've enjoyed the things that you've done. But when you talk about Ed and and how he worked with you and collaborated, I think it's just phenomenal. And, and I, Gary said a little bit about your experience with the Marriott, but you, I would really like you to kind of tell your story about your background, if you wouldn't mind. Well, thank you, Marcia. Uh, Gary is uh, very, very effusive in his praise, and I appreciate that. The story uh, started a little more humbly, but I started uh, came into the hotel industry coming straight out of the military. So I'd done my two years in Germany, a year in Vietnam, had thoroughly enjoyed especially the international experience, and quite frankly was amazingly surprised at how interested I became in the international world. Well, I joined this domestic hotel company called Marriott, and though I worked through many seats and I was in operations and I was chief marketing officer for a while, I then wound up as president of the international division when we started to take the company global and held that position over 22 years, which really gave me a lot of experience in the global world. Today, I call myself not retired, but repurposed, and repurposed uh, in that I uh, represent the Orange County Visitors Association here in Orange County, California, and work in the tourism industry in many different uh, areas as a consultant. So I have certainly enjoyed an opportunity that has kept me global has kept me in the hotel industry and has also enabled me to uh, continue to travel as I'm on the way to the Middle East later this month. Oh, that's terrific. I I have a question about the military, just that's because that's how you started this part. What what branch of the military were you in? I was uh, in the Army and uh, served in Germany, as I said, in a joint responsibility with the Navy and the Army in Vietnam, I was in the Military Assistance Command Vietnam, which was a joint service uh, branch that worked with the Vietnamese Army as well as other service groups. Since you mentioned that you've done a tremendous amount of traveling, I've had the good fortune to do the same. Have you been back to Vietnam since you were there in the military? Yes, interestingly enough, uh, I made it a focus. Uh, I was responsible for everything outside the United States, but Vietnam, I made a singular uh, goal of trying to go back and set up hotels. So I have been back maybe 10 to 12 times. I went over with Secretary Gutierrez, um, the Commerce Secretary, when he led a delegation to Vietnam. It's it, it's another side story I'd be glad to tell you, but, but it, it well, did you know, have its moments. We'll, mm-hmm. And, you know, we may have time to come back to that, and I'll make myself a note. I, too, have been to Vietnam. I've been to Ho Chi Minh City. I've been to Da Nang. I've been to Hanoi. And I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the experience. And it's a place that, you know, I would recommend people 
traveled to because I just I just thought it was fabulous. But this is, this is really not going to – well, you know, I say this isn't going to be a travel show, but I suspect we will interweave <laughs> travel throughout this conversation. Well, but, you know what? In fact, Marcia, the, um, uh, the Red Hotel begins with a hotel bombing, and we could certainly talk more about the meat of the book, but that was in um, uh, – Ed was in, uh, in real life. Ed was Vietnam when a Ritz and Marriott Hotel blew up in, was blown up, I'll put it that way, in Jakarta, Indonesia, and had to go from Vietnam on that trip over to Indonesia. And our book starts with, although we set it in Tokyo, begins with a bombing that is very, very close to what actually was real. Uh, in Jakarta, is that? I think that's completely accurate, right, Ed? And absolutely. And I don't know whether Marcia stayed in the Hanoi JW Marriott, but that was the hotel I was it, working yeah. on at the time. Well, that was the mm-hmm. hotel I was working with the owner to try to close the deal, and uh, we were in the middle of a discussion when I got the call from uh, my head of security, who's in the book, uh, and. He happened to be in the hotel at the time the bombs went off, and so I quickly went out the door, grabbed the car to the airport, and went straight to Jakarta. So very sad situation, but it does tie back to the book, which is Red Hotel. Terrific. Well, I would like to know, because I have a feeling, I'm a story collector, all right, and I have a feeling, Gary, that you have an interesting story about how (laughs) you two of you met. I I do. I'd love to hear that story. Okay, it's it's a, it's a fun story, and I'm sitting talking to you right now with our uh, little dog uh, Thames upside down, getting a scratch, and I have to thank Thames for um, meeting Ed and and the result of our political thriller novel Red Hotel, because one night I was out walking Thames and actually our other dog uh, Bo. And it bumped into a neighbor uh, around the corner, a very interesting neighbor. His name is Bruce Fierstein. And I say interesting because he's an interesting person to begin with, but it also impacts the political thriller area that we're, we're in, the exciting action-adventure novel world. Um, Bruce uh, wrote the first three Pierce Brosnan James Bond films. Um, and he's a neighbor and a friend. He's also a friend of Ed's, and Ed knew him from a Boston University uh, board. And, of course, I knew uh, Bruce's neighbor and also from some television work and certainly his film work and some things we, we he did on my shows over the years. And Bruce said, Gary, you've got to meet this incredibly interesting guy. Uh, his name is Ed Fuller, and he was former president, just retired, a former president of Marriott International. And he's looking for a collaborator to write a novel uh, based on his experiences. He already had a fabulous uh, nonfiction book out on his experiences, which, in fact, I keep open and right near me as we're writing all the time because it defines Ed. It's called You Can't Leave With Your Feet on the Desk. And that's the kind of motivator and leader he is. And we'll certainly you'll hear more about that as we go along. But I thought, well, what do I have in common with the former president of Marriott International? I write political thrillers. He's an international businessman. Um, Bruce said, you've got to meet him. You've just got to meet him. So 
um, knowing this is coming from a James Bond screenwriter, I said, okay, we met and it took me about 30 seconds to realize uh, and recognize that Ed was as much in the anti-terrorism business as the hotel business. Uh, we've already talked about um, his hotels being attacked by terrorists in Jakarta, um, how he helped get his team out and tourists and guests out of Cairo at the fall of Mubarak. And likewise, when uh, Gaddafi was going down in Tripoli, um, how to get people to safety, how to protect uh, the guests who are in the hotels and the staff members, uh, everybody coming through there. Well, my first real question to him, because that flowed pretty quickly, about the same rate of speed that I'm telling you now, uh, I said, or I asked him, Ed, so who do you have on speed dial? <laughs> well, he hmm. told me, I reached across the table and I said, I think we can work together really well. And that was the beginning of a collaboration that has been fabulous and, in fact, working its way now into the uh, sequel of Red Hotel, um, which is still unnamed but follows the, the same characters, pr principally Dan Riley, uh, who is in many ways uh, Ed Fuller, but Dan Riley through the international exploits trying to figure out uh, who is behind a series of hotel, hotel bombings, what's the real nature of the plot, and what could be done to prevent more from happening. And it is, on a global scale, a terrific, huge story. That's that's a that's that's a that's a great story. I I knew a little bit about the dog walk, but how how terrific that <laughs> that you just you know you just never know, do you? You if your mind and your eyes are wide open, you just never know how a contact happens. Correct? You never know, and I go back to one of my favorite quotes: Yogi Berra, the great. Uh, uh, catcher for the Yankees mm -hmm. and the Mets uh, manager, and he was known for his malaprops, but they come with great wisdom. And Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. And exactly. that's exactly what I did. <laughs> and we have a that's, great book to show for it. <laughs> that That's terrific. So, Ed, uh, I'm curious, why did you, you had, um, Gary had mentioned that you had a best-selling business book, so why did you decide to write Red Hotel? Well, to be brutally honest about it, I had written the business book myself and Wiley published it, and I really had a great time doing it and then was able to use it for teaching as well as for other aspects of speaking engagements and the like, and really had a great time. And as I was retiring, I realized that I wanted to do a number of different things. So at a given point, Bruce and I had talked about uh, the prospect of not uh, just finishing with that book. He had kind of prompted me to consider doing something else with it, and he had suggested possibly writing a novel. Well, I sat down and tried to take that task on and realized that while I could do a business book, I had no skill at taking the characters and continually moving them along in a story and being able to glue together just the excitement and the passions of the various uh, characters that I came up with. Very excited about the prospect, but came to the reality I didn't have the skill. 
So I went back to Bruce, and he says, we need to find you a partner. And I said, I don't want a ghostwriter. I really want a partner who can work with me and has the skill to take some of the stories I've accumulated over those 22 years and blend them together into a real novel. And that's how we came up with Red Hotel. Oh, I think that's terrific. I, you, you've sort of alluded to this already, but I thought maybe either one of you might want to say a little bit more about the um, the actual writing process because I'm curious about I'm curious about that. In that, did you sit together in a room? Did you did you dictate things and have it? I have, take us take either one of you can answer that question. But how how did that writing process develop for the two of you? Well, Gary, you ought to take the lead, and I'll do the color. How's that? Okay, sounds terrific. Um, Well, it really began with a series of sit-down meetings with Ed um, in his office in Orange County, um, up in Los Angeles as well, sometimes over lunch or dinner, um, oftentimes just over around the office table talking and uh, getting stories, and the stories involved Ed dealing as a, uh, a international businessman with contacts in the intelligence community, uh, as I learned early, as uh, and that is a good thing because we want people, particularly in, in in the hotel business, to know what's going on in the countries that they're operating. So, but Ed just filled me with stories about uh, staff being kidnapped, uh, exploits that he had off-road in, in Egypt, um, Jakarta as well with the uh, bombing at the Ritz and the Marriott that we talked about, and, and him being on the ground dealing with the, the debris and, and the death and the mm-hmm. devastation and seeing that firsthand and dealing with um, any number of other crises and establishing a crises team um, whenever needed that could jump in and help solve the problems and ultimately setting up the uh, four color code threat assessment system uh, that ends with red, hence the name red hotel, which deals with the highest threat assessment level that Ed can get into. But first it was information gathering and researching. Then it was researching on my own in terms of uh, the political landscape, because we decided to set uh, the plot against um, Russia's um, history and its history in post-Cold War era and uh, the president, although fictionalized, um, who very much wants to rebuild the satellite former Eastern Bloc nations uh, that were under the um, Soviet Union as the satellite nations from uh, the, the uh, Baltic states right down to the Balkans. And uh, that existed for so many years during the Cold War, uh, went away, and many of those nations became NATO nations. And it's the avowed goal of uh, the president of the Russian Federation to rebuild some of that Eastern Bloc. So a lot of that was research. Then, then came the outline. And we worked together on the outline and developing the story and the plot points and the trigger, trigger points for the action. And then um, we, I began writing, continuously meeting with Ed over uh, the depth of the story and uh, what other real-life incidences could freshen it up. 
And whenever we were dealing with um, characters of the crisis committee, many of them were drawn from Ed's experience in establishing the crisis committee. Um, and Ed really held my uh, hand to the fire on making sure that internationally we were dealing with the right kinds of stories. So that was the writing process. Um, and then we all both went through the book after the first uh, draft and it went into actually after the second draft, third draft, and then refining as we went along. Um, but great collaboration. And then just when we finished, Ed said, Okay, well, now here are the stories for the second book, <laughs> and they're more hair-raising. But it's been, again, as I said before, a great collaboration because Ed's given me freedom to develop characters based on real-life experiences, and I opened up saying Ed was the real deal. It really comes through in the book. The, the Amazon reviews have been terrific, and we've gotten a whole bunch more just this week. Yeah. Ed, let me ask you something. So uh, Gary, Gary drew a really clear picture in my mind. I can visualize what he's saying. I'd be curious to know, I know you went through more than one draft, but how long did it take you from those beginning sit-downs where you're just sort of gathering information and research until you actually had the final copy done? Did that, did that, how, long did, how long did that take? It took about a year and a half uh, through what Gary described of the first book because we had to really spend time building the characters. In many cases, we used the Marriott names of the characters, uh, the actual names. So Alan Orlob is Alan Cannon in the story, but we used the Marriott names because it was just easier to, for me to say Bill Marriott said this, Alan said that, so-and-so said that, in trying to describe the story to Gary. Ultimately, though, we then had to change the names to protect the innocent, and then we had, had, had a discussion with the publisher about whether we should mention the president of Russia or not, and whether that was a smart thing to do, and we ultimately changed his name, too. Well, I but suppose that, that makes sense. The yeah, the mm -hmm. fun of the building of the characters was a great part of it, and overall, the way the teamwork has uh, really developed, we have been able to uh, really share experiences together. And I did take Gary to the back of one of our hotels here in Los Angeles, and we did a back-of-the-house uh, tour throughout the hotel to familiarize him with aspects of the buildings. Well, that, that, and that was that, so helpful. I, I'm sure that... I bet that was very helpful. Now you have a visual in your mind. Um, but, you know, Gary, what I was thinking about, because you have this industry of TV production that you mentioned, and congratulations on quite a remarkable career you've had in Hollywood. Um, do you think that that background, your Hollywood background of documentaries and, and all of these things, do you think that that influenced the way that you write? Absolutely. Uh, and uh, Terrific question because there are parallels and intersects. Um, the many of the documentaries that I did for the History Channel over the years and A and E, um, uh, they had a documentary series on every night. Also the biography series and programs for documentaries for other networks as well dealt with uh, political realities 
Um, they dealt with the Cold War. They dealt with World War II, times we were attacked. Actually, America physically was attacked. Um, uh, we were shelled by a submarine, a Japanese submarine off the coast of California, Goleta, during World War II. There were bombs sent across um, from Japan in balloons that landed in uh, the, north, the northwest, uh, Washington State. Uh, of course, 9-11, uh, and I have a relatable story to share there. But um, so much of what we had done as a television production company absolutely influenced um, uh, my, my desire to communicate um, complex geo- geopolitical issues in a, in a meaningful and understandable way. And for television documentaries, that's visual and with talking heads, with interviews. And in novels, we've got the latitude to fictionalize what in many ways is obvious uh, but we're still fictionalizing things to make a compelling read. Uh, but very much is the case with Red Hotel and, and other books that I've written in the executive series. Uh, they're cut from the headlines, uh, or mm-hmm. they could be tomorrow's headlines, probably even more frightening. Uh, that what we imagine in Red Hotel and what, what Ed and I have sat down to talk about in his experiences could be what lights up the news tomorrow. Uh, that's pretty scary when you think about it. Um, oh yes. So yes, it, it is. It is. You know, uh, it, this is not a this is not a giggle story by any means. Um, when when you let me ask you this, Ed, because I I think I have a sense of how this story came about to you guys. I'd I'd like you to spend a, a few minutes just telling us about your book, and and specifically, Gary had mentioned this, and I think that the significance of the title of your book, I think is also very, very fascinating. So maybe we could even start with the categories of what what red hotel means as opposed to a yellow, a green, an orange, or whatever the other colors there are. Talk us, tell us about that. Okay, well, let me spend a second, and I may go a little deeper uh, than you might have thought, but the bombing in Jakarta was a pivotal point. About 1990, when I started the international group, we had no real crisis plan or security system in place. And we were moving into countries that we had not been in, and and we were involved in incidents that we did not necessarily anticipate, the first incident being the kidnapping of the executive committee of one of our hotels. As a result of that, I came back to the office after dealing with that particular situation and said, we need a plan. And we, over the years, developed a plan that included various levels of security because the United States has a very definable uh, level of security. And when you reach red, we're in a lot of trouble in the United States. And the government controls the assignment of those levels. And in the United States, most companies follow those levels uh, to the T. Outside the United States, the countries we were dealing in, and we eventually were in 73 countries, Uh, by the time I finished in 2012, each country either had its own system or had no system. So we had to develop our own system. 
And up to that point, we had a very simple, clear, uh, yellow, uh, then a red system, a blue, yellow, red system. And I'm not talking about the book right now, but the backstory on it. And mm-hmm. we had a pretty good understanding that when we saw a terrorist, they were going to come toward us either in a truck as we had in Pakistan or in a matter of cars as we had in several cases or on foot. And we were prepared for that. When we got to Jakarta, we were not prepared for that. And that is that the actual terrorist was the florist in the hotel who had worked there for seven years as a vendor, not an employee, but over those seven years had really endeared himself to the community of the hotel, was well known by the hotel, and proceeded to assemble the bombs that were used in his florist shop. And then the two bombers checked into the hotel, one to the Ritz and one to the Marriott, picked up the bombs and went to their respective targets, the Chamber of Commerce and the Marriott, and the restaurant in the Ritz-Carlton, and ignited the bombs. We were not looking for an internal situation to occur. So we immediately had to rethink, after we got through the tragedy, our whole strategy. And we came up with a different set of levels, resulting in making red level even more secure. In this case, we were looking for anything that could happen internally and externally, and we introduced more sophisticated equipment, but also we introduced dogs. And the reason for dogs, and I'm not talking about my two poodles at home, the reason for (laughs) dogs is their ability to sniff out uh, various uh, munitions that could be used in a bomb. And uh, the, in this particular case, uh, the dogs would have been on the back dock and would have noticed that the florist was bringing more in the boxes that he was bringing into the hotel than just the flowers and the various uh, different uh, receptacles that he was bringing in during his normal business, in which we now know there was the equipment for assembling the bombs in those items. So uh, when I retired, we had 52 red hotels. And uh, I would assume today, I've been out for a while, I would assume there are several more with the growth of the company. But we had to learn over those years and work extremely hard to make our hotels safer, which is what we have done. And, of course, our focus is not only the hotel guest but also the hotel employees, or we call them associates, that work alongside us, and that was one of our priorities. So whether it was bombings, whether it was kidnappings, whether it was tsunamis, whether it was hurricanes, whether it was government overthrow, whether it was challenges with individual uh, owners and individuals, plane crashes and the like, we had a lot of incidents that we dealt with over those 22 years. I bet. And you can see why how, how, how wonderful yes. it was for me to hear these stories as you're hearing them now and mm-hmm. the, the richness of uh, real-life stories 
building a political thriller, or actually I like to call them political reality thrillers, because here is, is reality. And so much of the fiction and political fiction that we read in international thrillers, they're great stories, but they're not necessarily grounded in, in the reality that comes out of Ed's experiences. I'd like to just be clear about something because I, I, I'm actually taking notes. I feel like I'm getting a, a, a great class from both of you. So when, when you talk about the system of the blue, the yellow, the red, you are, we are, us, you, are de- you are deciding what particular property is a red hotel, meaning that it so has how, the most yes. security. So how, it, how this works, um, and I've, I've got to give you a little background on this. So sure. we, had a, we have a company that I participated in for 40 years of my life that safety was the number one objective. Uh, and quite frankly, our chairman never wanted to lose a life in the hotel from a fire or any incident. So when we built hotels, we had the highest level of security built into those hotels. All of our market research, we quit doing the research on it. Always started off that what the associate, the, uh, I'm sorry, what the guest wanted most was a safe place to be when they were staying in a hotel. And once we knew that, it was very clear that that didn't change over many years. So this put us in a position of making sure we had a higher level of focus than maybe even our competitors, but it was our focus. So going back to your specific question, we had to have a feel for what was going on in these 73 countries. In the United States, we would have followed whatever the government told us. But outside the United States, we had to depend on our own resources. So we maintained an analyst in Hong Kong and one in Washington and a backup group that were constantly on guard 24 hours a day reviewing four different sources, two of them government, two of them private, giving a status on the 73 countries we were operating in. We often knew about incidents that uh, never made the newspapers in the United States. And quite often we were aware of situations that had higher levels of discomfort for us where we might take the initiative to raise the level on that particular community. We erred on the side of safety rather than on the side of being assured there was a danger. So we were constantly trying to get ahead of the program once we'd installed this. I see. Did Just out of curiosity, as a consumer, as somebody that's staying in one of those properties, do I know that that you are a red hotel when I'm staying someplace in Hong Kong? I've gotten that question before. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) number one, uh, you would have a pretty good feeling if you were in an orange or red hotel because you would have to go through a great deal of checks to get into the hotel. Your luggage, your individual self, uh, and in the Red Hotel, you would find yourself confronting a, a not a poodle, but at least a <laughs> German Shepherd uh, at the front entrance or as you brought your car in. 
as well as the normal checkpoint uh, operations that we had. Beyond uh, when it came to blue or yellow or different levels that we had in Marriott, you probably would not notice those on the surface. And we obviously published none of this information uh, at that time as to what the status of that hotel was. And I wouldn't tell you today which one was red or uh, orange. The fact is, though, that companies would screen our hotels before they would let their executives stay in them. And they actually had teams that went out and did that. We happened to have at least three incidents that were recorded for us uh, by the police when they interviewed bombers in Athens, Jordan, and Mumbai that our hotels had been screened by the terrorists and evaluated to be too difficult to get in. And so they chose alternate, well, there's actually a fourth incident. They didn't choose a hotel. They went to a restaurant very nearby, but they did screen the hotel. And we were told that our hotels had been evaluated, but our defenses were so strong that they chose not to try to go through. Your assurance is that if you travel to one of these countries and locations, you want to stay in a hotel that has the maximum protection aligned to it. I would, I, I would agree, and, and it's, 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 it's interesting. If, if you've been a traveler, and I have had the good fortune of being a traveler, you know, you, you're safe. I was with a university. I was at Loyola Marymount University, and you, you are very mindful. I can tell you just, just as a side note here, when we landed in oh, where were we vietnam that was the same year the malaysian air airline went down and um that we're watching cnn we're you know we're in a hotel and we're kind of like what are they what are they talking about there's an airplane missing and your sense of safety um it, it is impacted when you go out of the country and you, you you are impacted. I was with a group, so I, I felt safe and secure. But there were definitely times where you were very aware. I've been to Israel. I've been to places where, yeah, you, you want to be certain that your safety is, is not compromised, uh, whether you're on that airplane landing there or once you've arrived there. So it, it's very interesting about the concept. And I you had, we had talked a little earlier about, um, a character by the name of Dan Riley um, sounds like he might be sort of a person that might have had some of your background, Ed. Is that possible? Uh, altogether possible. Maybe uh, <laughs> uh, the experience might be right. He's a little younger than I am today, but uh, at this point I can look back and assume he might have had some of the same adventures. And uh, in the case of Gary's writing, uh, those adventures have been expanded a little because, after all, it is fiction and it's supposed to be a fun read. Absolutely, and you have a lot of experience. All those executive books that you wrote. How many did you write, um, Gary? Five. Thank you. Executive Four so action. far. Uh, actions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then executive uh-huh. treason, executive command, and executive force, which came out last. Right. Uh, August, and they uh, take a 
different track. Uh, the lead uh, character is a member of the uh, United States Secret Service, and he works under special authority for the president. But also it drives through international politics and threats, global threats, in executive actions, it's uh, Russian sleeper cell spies and executive treason. It's the power of hate radio, which is perhaps not so new because it does go back to the 1930s and uh, Father uh, Coughlin, who uh, controlled so much of the airwaves and so much of the hate on the airwaves. Uh, executive command deals with uh, threat to our most valuable and vulnerable natural resource, which is water and executive force. Mm-hmm. Uh, discusses and delves into uh, separatist groups across the country trying to break away and destabilize the country as a whole, but they don't realize they're being manipulated by North Korea. So each and every one looks at a different geopolitical threat uh, with a lot of research and, and I think some terrific storytelling, but I didn't even start writing novels. Uh, It really, going back to your question on documentaries, uh, it was years ago, and I remember the date exactly. uh, uh, My business partner and I were having, television business partner and I were having a meeting at the History Channel. And one person at the meeting said, you know, maybe lightheartedly, maybe seriously, I don't know, said, do you think we're running out of history? This was at the History Channel. And uh, I kind of laughed, as I am now a little bit, and just dismissing it. Well, the reason I remember that day is that was September 10th, 2001. And oh, my goodness. September 11th, and that was the day before. So I began thinking, moving out of documentaries, what other ways are there for me to express where we are in the world and what is happening and what are the dangers And uh, on the ride back to Los Angeles, because all the planes were grounded, I really began thinking of uh, a novel and a novel plot. So that's how that all began. Wow. That, I can see why you would remember the date. Don't we we all remember where we were, I'm sure. We sure do. We do. And now all these years later, here comes Red Hotel. Exactly. You know, it's it's really interesting because of where I live personally. I live, I could do a round trip to Southwest Airlines and back from my house in about 20 minutes, except for the traffic right now. It's kind of crazy because of the construction. <laughs> but we were outside walking. I would mentioned Loyola Marymount University. It's very close to where I live. And we were outside walking that day. And we were like, why are there so many helicopters circling the airport? It was scary, frightening, and confusing, and completely out of the ordinary. And it, we didn't really know what had gone on because we didn't, we didn't have our phones with us, or I don't think, I don't even know if I had a cell phone then or not, but I, I probably did. But, you know, it, it, so we all can relate to where that was and, and the, the scariness about that. Uh, I, I don't know, I just, it just made me think of that, which, as you mentioned. When you think about Ed, when you think about the fact that you wrote a business novel, and now you're working with this this your partner here that's very accomplished as a as a, a political thriller writer, what what was I'm curious back because I I'm curious about people, so I'd be curious to know what would you find to be what was the hardest part about writing the book, and maybe what was the easiest part about writing the book. 
Well, the hardest part about writing the book was not doing it with Gary. So it was pretty clear to me that I didn't have the skill. But the fact was that retelling the stories has not been hard. I can, as Gary has depicted to you, we'll be in the middle of something, and I'd say, you know, we could plug in that incident in Ecuador right here, and that would give it a different twist. Or we can talk about the tsunami and, and go here with that. So it's it's not been hard at all. And in fact, at this stage of my life, uh, it's been extremely fun because I'm able to bring back memories that when they happened, I was, I would say, I was on edge because I was responsible all of a sudden in our crisis system had to make the decision. That took me back to my days in the military. And while I, I dealt with decision-making in the uh, office, uh, when you have people's lives tied to it, it takes it up many, many more notches. Uh, mm-hmm. It's different than, if well, maybe we'll lose 20 grand on this or maybe we'll make uh, several hundred grand on this decision versus we're going to lose a life. There is just no comparison. And when you have that responsibility and that accountability, that makes the adrenaline really boil. But now to be able to look back, because in the case of incidents that happened in 1990, that was many years ago, uh, or even 95 or the like, I can look back and kind of be detached but still feel a little of the tension, but at the same time, I can report them to Gary in an accurate fashion, and I can think back and say, we succeeded here, we made failures here, we learned here, and it is it is a way of reliving my own self-history and doing it in trying to create something that I think would be, even though it's a thriller, a fun read for somebody to read. And my greatest reward are people that worked with me, as well as friends that didn't work with me, who've written me notes and said, I'm halfway through the book and I can't put it down, or, I, you know, this is really cool. And those things uh, have really been what keeps me excited and having fun with it. So my decision to answer your question would be it's been easier than I ever thought, and that's because of Gary. We're a part of you. That's such a lovely compliment. And, and Gary, I would like to ask you this. With your background in television, okay, let's just kind of – think forward. Okay. Do you think Red Hotel would make a better movie of the week, a cable series, or a feature film, if you were going to take it to that level? Wow. Um, We've talked about this, and um, there's a great appetite uh, these days, happily, because uh, perhaps you've seen the Jack Ryan, the new reinvention of the Tom Clancy novels, uh, Jack Ryan series. There's the uh, Bodyguard series out of BBC, uh, Jack Ryan I done on uh, Amazon, um, uh, other series on BBC America, the Bodyguard. 
Uh, I believe even Lee Child's uh, Jack Reacher series may switch from movies to a television series at some point. Um, Television offers an awful lot of room and time for character development. And Red Hotel is a is a big read um, and it could easily be a movie, but a long movie or so many elements cut out of it to make a two hour movie. But if we have 13 hours uh, to tell the story um, over a series on television, uh, that just offers a lot more time uh, and uh, character development and and to hold viewers for a longer period of time. But we're going to find out what the market is interested to. So it could be a movie. It could be uh, a a series on a, on a pay-per-view platform or, um, you know, one of the Hulu or Netflix or Amazon. We'd be happy. I think with either Um, what we're finding is that readers are saying already, well, when is this going to be a movie? Well, things things don't move real quickly in in Hollywood for sure, but we would be thrilled. So um, to answer the question, which would I prefer? I would answer yes, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I'll second that. I'll, I'll have what you have. <laughs> I'll second. That. Thank you. Oh, that's so funny. That reminded me of some. Oh my God! That just you just took me to a memory. It was a, I think it was Rodney Dangerfield or something. And then he looks at the menu, and the waitress comes up, and he just she asks what he wants to eat, and he just says yes. <laughs> that's oh, whatever's on the menu. That's so funny. That's just was a memory. Um, so going back to cause, you know sometimes I like I said sometimes I I flip the switch a bit. So when we when you think about the 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 production of the possibility of a movie. Who do you who if you could just like wave the wand, no 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 confusion. Who do you think you would cast to play Dan Riley? I think she directed that, that to role. you, Gary. <laughs> wow, um, Ed, um, there's your <laughs> chance to say who you want to play you um, <laughs> as Dan Riley. Um, well, there's so many great, good-looking people out there who are, who are terrific action heroes that could be Ed Fuller's character as Dan Riley. Um, I, I, I think they're all uh, in movies these days, and they're action heroes, um, where mm-hmm. we turn somebody into an action hero. The fact is, um, the character Ed, uh, Ed's character, Dan Riley, in the books is 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 not somebody who is prone to jump into the fray but is forced through a set of circumstances to act positively and authoritative authoritatively uh when there is a crisis and when there is real danger so as a character who grows through the book yes he's a great businessman and yes he comes out of the army and yes he comes out of the intelligence community as well in the novel but is he prepared to chase down the bad guy? Is he prepared to really jump into the action? And at the very beginning of the book, not so much. He's a guy who's testifying before a congressional hearing, asking for more information. By the time we're at the end of the book, uh, as it would be the case at an end of a movie or a TV series, um, he's got to be on that journey and, tra- and be transformed uh, to be an action hero, to be ready to, mm-hmm. to act. But uh, who it is who's playing him, 
I don't know. Ed, do you have a favorite? Is there somebody well, who you're, would so, make your wife happy? <laughs> well, that's the challenge because the real answer is uh, whoever Michaela wants. <laughs> so, uh, but in well, reality, I would not. I would. I would not want to discourage anybody from wanting to take the part, so I'm not going to put them on the spot at this time. There you go. Uh, there are a lot that of great. Fair. There are a lot of great actors out there, and uh, the real question is, who's going to play Marnie, Gary? Well, Marnie's an interesting character. There is a very love complex that develops in the book. Uh, oh, quite a, a little ways into it as well. Uh, who has uh, she's an international businesswoman, every bit of the kind of person who can rise up and stand with and face the dangers with uh, Dan Riley's character. But, you know, we're hearing from readers who were saying they're not really trusting her that much. Isn't that interesting? We've had uh, several of those. So we'll, I, maybe we'll see what happens in the second book. But uh, she's so instrumental to uh, to the action in in throughout Red Hotel, um, and uh, she's a, a Brit who works for Barclays Bank, and they're into funding. And the Dan Riley's character, uh, the character in the hotel business, of course, needs funding. She seems to be showing up at the right place at the right time. Oh, cool. So that, we'll see. You know, you know often it, characters don't yeah. really reveal, Marcia, they often don't reveal themselves to us, too, until the second or third book on who they really are. Uh, they, they jump into the story, but we find out more and more about them, as I suspect we're going to find readers will find out more about Dan Riley as well. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, one, of the, one of the thoughts that um, uh, comes to my mind, uh, Ed, you talked about how the book starts off with a hotel bombing in Tokyo, which is a pretty, it's a pretty scary thought. And I guess what I'm wondering is if a hotel receives intelligence that it could be a target, what are some of the obvious or maybe not of the not so obvious security measures that are put in place? And, and can you talk about that? Perhaps you can't. I don't know. Um, only to a point. So obviously if a hotel's under threat, there will be uh, a step toward making sure it's a red hotel. And we, one of the procedures under a red hotel is you have a team that is constantly looking out of the hotel to see if there's any very strong evidence that people are analyzing it, watching it, checking on it. And you would be surprised. People that do plan for terrorism spend months evaluating their target. And you, in many cases, can identify that. Uh, and we identified it in at least three cases in Pune, Italy, uh, in Pune, not Italy, sorry, Pune, India, was one, and that was the case where ultimately we knew they went to a restaurant nearby because they could not crack the code to get in the hotel. But we were able to identify who the people were to the police. It was just too late. And we did the same in, uh, in two or three other areas. But when it comes to a hotel being in danger, Usually, you have a very short window other than to maintain the level and then require and ask for police assistance. 
and that's the next level up. And so in most cases, you will find that the local police are extremely good about helping to fill that gap. And remember, you want to make the individual that's evaluating think it's just not worth their while to bother with the amount of defense you have around your hotel. And regretfully, as I said earlier, in three cases, uh, we know they went to other hotels when they saw what we had in place in our normal security procedures. So uh, there are always danger points, but very seldom do you have much more that you can do other than the red level and additional police support. And frankly, well, we've never – go ahead. You were no, going no, to ask. I, I want you to finish. And, and frankly, in all cases, the good news is we have not had an incident in one of our red hotels since I left the company and since we really ramped up our security level uh, in those markets. So once we figured out that last step of raising the level even higher and putting in the initial security, our incidents have diminished in those red hotels. Oh, congratulations on all that hard work and reconnaissance that you've Well, it's put a lot of people, to, to not, make... not, not just me. It took a lot of people. I understand. It's a, it's, there's a team. I, I'm certain of that. Uh, you know, I, it, it makes total sense to me, and I, I, I think that, you know, as a traveler, I guess that would be my next question to you is that, you know, um, do you have any recommendations for a traveler that can, that where they can keep themselves safe with traveling to foreign countries? Well, I think I even have a list of 20, which I'd be glad to mail to you at a later date or oh, can great. later today. Uh, but okay. a couple of the key ones are if you're going to a country you're not familiar with, the State Department has an exceptional rating uh, and evaluation system, and a simple read of their report on that country will say, okay, let's think about that. Maybe we want to go somewhere else. Uh, if you are a traveler who is on business and this is a requirement, uh, you're probably going to move ahead, but you have various other systems that are available to you through the State Department and company or, uh, outlets that can certainly help you through that process. But most of us are leisure travelers, and we're looking for that unique and special destination. And you never know when something can occur. And that's why I said we face tsunamis, we faced hurricanes and other challenges as well as kidnappings. And again, the State Department rating tells you that there are issues in that country. You just need to be prepared and look. You need to be cautious where you're staying. You need to understand what kind of a hotel you're staying in. Uh, usually the major branded companies, you know that they have these procedures in place and they are looking out for your interests. You need to also plan ahead on your accommodations. I I recommend you don't go for the top floor in the hotel, uh, you know, if, when you're in one of these countries, because in these smaller environments, the fire department's not going to be able to reach up to the 24th, 25th, or 52nd floor. 
uh, and they, uh, you just have a number of things that you need to be aware of. But when you travel, and, and Gary loves using this, this line, you've got to observe everything going on around you and certainly report anything that doesn't look right. But I'll send that list to you. That'd be really great. I have a couple of more questions, and I'm just going to be straightforward about my show because I get to because I'm the boss of me. I know that you need to take another call, and uh, Ed, I have a couple of wrap-up questions that I would like to ask of Gary, if it's okay with you, Gary, if you could stay on just a little bit longer. And Ed, I want to respect your time because I know that you mentioned that in the beginning. So let me just take the moment to thank you and your expertise. I I would love to just sit down and have a drink with you and learn more about what it is that that, that you do because it is fascinating. And I I've had a lot of experience in Marriott hotels, and I like I said, I've done a lot of traveling, and this sort of security is a, is a really comforting feeling as that leisure traveler you just described. So um, thank you very, very much, and best of luck as you move on with your next, your next book, Ed. And I will, I will say goodbye to you now, and I'll remain on the line with Gary for just a few more moments. But thank okay. you so much for taking your time to be with me today. Well, the pleasure's been mine, and I hope we do have that drink, and I hope yes. you continue to earn those points on your Marriott Rewards Program. <laughs> you bet. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you so very much. Okay. Have a great I'll see afternoon. you later. Bye-bye. Gary, I, just, I wanted to ask you yes. a couple more questions because I know sure. that, that Ed needs to leave. So you mentioned that you're looking to do a sequel, so I presume that you've started working on some of that now is that is that right well as a matter of fact we're about 90 percent through the first draft of the sequel so we're hoping that will connect uh with the whole publishing schedule if not by the end of the year then certainly into the new year time goes so fast and uh and, and 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 i would say book writing goes so slowly it really doesn't the way i do it I write three pages a day. I, I like to say I don't write novels. I write three pages a day. Writing a novel seems so daunting. It seems like such a big mountain to climb. But three pages a day, and you do the math, it's 90 pages in a month if you're at it every day. And I do miss some days. But two months, 180 pages, three months, 270. It adds up, even though it takes rewriting just laying the story down and again working with Ed Fuller it's somewhat easier for me because the stories are rich in texture and reality because he's explaining things that happen and then on top of that we'll invent other things Um, but we're affected by the news we're affected by uh, politics here politics internationally you know there's so much going on these days about uh, NATO And uh, Mm -hmm. is the United States going to stick with NATO, which we clearly should be doing, uh, but there's movement about not doing that. At the same time, there's Russian Federation looking for openings to move back into some of those countries, as they have with Georgia and uh, Crimea, and Ukraine could be next, and Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia could be among the others that that go. There have been uh, reports that said, um, in fact, former advisor to a number of presidents, including Carter, 
uh, Brzezinski has said that um, uh, Russia could take Putin could move into any of those capitals within 48 hours. And the question is, what would we do? And do, could would most people in the United States be able to even identify any of those countries on a map and let alone commit troops? What would be the appetite? And if you start with right. that, with that premise that America might not be willing to do anything and you have a president in Russia who recognizes that fact, maybe it's all just a ticking clock and it's ticking down every single day. Well, on that happy note, um, let me just, <laughs> I, I know, I show, really, thanks. That's, that's a real good now. But I, let me, I, I don't normally let my show go this much longer, but I, I do, I do want to just ask you this question because sure. I'm, I'm really interested in how you live your life. So I think that's really cool about the three pages a day because people ask me if, when I'm going to write my book. I, I just, I'll talk to you about how you get off the, off, off the air. But when you're not writing, what do you yes. do to just balance? What do you do to just, what do you do wow. to just relax? Well, I'm a news junkie, so I'm watching TV news and listening to broadcasts all the time. That doesn't necessarily make me relax. I do no. teach college part-time at uh, Loyola Marymount oh. University, which you mentioned. Uh, I teach in the graduate program of film and television. I still work oh. in television and uh, produce shows as they come up. Um, we've had two uh, weddings on our schedule for this year. Our daughter got married in February. Our son is getting married in May. And uh, that gets me certainly uh, uh, away from the writing for uh, a bit. And that's relaxing. Um, my wife writes um, uh, restaurant reviews. So we go out to restaurants quite often. And that's nice. Uh, we love going mm-hmm. to movies, but for me, I don't know, it, it always does channel back into what I'm writing. And that really goes back to when I was a kid with a shortwave radio in my room, listening to broadcasts in, uh, around the world, uh, BBC and Radio Moscow and broadcasts from Bulgaria, uh, Spain, France, the Vatican, Cuba, China. Uh, I was always aware of the world being out there and where we fit in the world and uh, was frightened like everyone was during the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was a very real present danger at the time. Um, so I, I guess uh, I try to have fun with what I'm doing and not to um, live in the danger that I'm writing about. But I love the fact that people get strong takeaway. They get strong information uh, from the novels, which makes them more aware. And uh, Ed Fuller was talking about uh, what we need to do as as tourists, as travelers. If you go to a restaurant, if you go to a, a mall, wherever you go, the rule now for us all, if you see a suitcase on the street and it's abandoned, if you see batteries left in a trash can in a hotel room that you're going into, too, well, that often means maybe there's a photographer, but also battery wrappers and, and batteries are used in bombs. So the rule is, and it has to be, if you see something, say something. We're all part of 
um, needing to be responsible, needing to be contributors. If you look back at uh, uh, 9-11 again, if only, if only the flight uh, uh, schools that were teaching people to fly, but then they were told, oh, we don't need to know how to land planes. If only Mm. they had told somebody in law enforcement, and as far as I know, they didn't, maybe we could have prevented the World Trade Center towers from going down in 3,000 years. So if you see something, say something. Absolutely. That's key. And that comes across in the hotel clearly. That's an such an important message and I'm we're going I'm going to let you get on with the rest of your day but I think <laughs> that that's a real takeaway. I think that that's something that anybody that's listening to this to this broadcast can take away. I'd like them to buy your book and and read this, but I do think that t- if you see something, say something is that is critical. I I I love your advice and Gary, thanks for just being so generous with your time and um, to Noel for suggesting that the two of you join me on my show because if it wasn't for Noel, I wouldn't have met you. And I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity, and I look forward to seeing what the sequel will be like. And now that I know you're in my backyard, I know exactly you're in that brand-new building down there in Playa Vista. One of these days I'll have to just meet you, and we can just sit out there by the – ponds that I love so much and just take in the fresh air. So um, just thank you, Gary. Thank you very, thank very you much so for much. your time today. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about Red Hotel. As we like to say, it's where spies, terrorists, and global politics meet. So I hope mm-hmm. everyone enjoys reading the, the book or listening to the Audible as well. Thank you. Thank oh, you, Marcia. terrific. This there is an great. Audible. Oh, that's terrific. Well, thanks so much. And everybody, next week, my show is going to be all about yoga and yoga therapy and how yoga can impact your life. And she actually teaches, believe it or not, at LMU as well. There's an LMU um, constant going through this this program. Her name is Terry Roseman. Anyway, so until next week, everybody, have a terrific weekend. If your team is in the Final Four, Good luck. Bye for now.